God, we approach you this morning and we pray that you would speak to us through your word for we are listening. God, would you work? We are willing. And Lord, would you mold us because we want to be changed. We want to look more and more like Jesus. So Lord, I pray that your power would be demonstrated in and through your word today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We recently uh, celebrated our youngest uh, turning two, which is hard to imagine, uh, but we had some, some birthday presents for, uh, for him. His name is Milo, uh, which is always exciting as a parent when you carefully think through a, a gift that you think that your child will enjoy, and then just to see the look on their face when they open it up. Uh, well, Milo is in a phase right now where he is obsessed with bubbles, loves bubbles. Like he's loving life. Uh, I think, you know, this morning as they get here in nursery three, there's that bubble machine that is like high end. Uh, like he's just going to be loving that today. Well, we got him a bubble blaster uh, for his birthday. And as he's unwrapping the paper and he gets this bubble blaster out of the box and he realizes what it is, his face just lights up. Like he's so excited and he just starts saying, bubbles, bubbles, bubbles. Uh, and he wants to fill the house with, with all kinds of bubbles, right? He wants to do it. Well, as he's taking it out of the box, um, we're met with an immediate problem. Uh, we notice that, that the bubble blaster requires batteries. And of course, it doesn't come with batteries, right? And so we're in kind of this dilemma, and Milo doesn't understand the concept of a battery. All he knows is he's got this amazing gift, and he wants to enjoy it, but he doesn't understand that it needs something. It needs a source in order to empower it for him to enjoy. He doesn't get that. So he goes from, man, this is amazing. You guys are the best, best parents in the world, to being disappointed, to being frustrated, being even kind of confused. Like, why can't I enjoy this? I share that with you today because I think that many Christians tend to believe that God has done something very similar when it comes to the Christian life. That God has given us this amazing gift of salvation. And yet, when we start to open it up and experience it in the Christian life, we start to wonder, does it work? We start to think through, how can I enjoy this? Where's the power? Where are the, the spiritual batteries in order for me to enjoy everything that God has for me in the Christian life? And so we can go from, wow, God, this is amazing that you've saved me from my sins. This is an amazing free gift to quickly becoming frustrated, discouraged, and even being tempted to look to other things that we think work better. I wonder if you feel that way uh, today. I, I wonder how many of us are here today and, and you feel as if you're in a spiritual rut. You might feel uh, a spiritual dryness right now in this particular season in the Christian life. Maybe you're wondering, where are the spiritual batteries that I can use in order to enjoy what God has for me in the Christian life? Well, that's you today. Uh, our passage has wonderful news for us. That Peter reminds us that God has provided something for us much better than batteries in the Christian life. That God has provided supernatural power to enable us to enjoy everything that Jesus has done for us in the Christian life. 
And so this morning, we're just looking at two verses. Again, we're going to be doing a slow crawl through 2 Peter. I think we're going to see more in this beautiful letter. But today, we're going to look at the goal of the Christian life. We're going to look at the source, and we're going to look at the means. Okay, the goal, the source, uh, and the means. Here's the the first one, the goal. uh, Starting in verse 3, again, the, the passage says that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain, and here comes the goal, to life and godliness, life and godliness. There it is. That's the goal. That's what God wants for us in the Christian life, life and godliness. Now, life is not just, doesn't refer to kind of the physical life. It refers to uh, spiritual life, eternal life. Godliness here is a word here. It's more of a concept that refers to good worship or piety, the type of uh, behavior that's expected uh, for the person who has come to know the God of the scriptures. It's a life that, that pleases God. Now, godliness is a very important term in the Christian life, but, but not in the sense of earning our salvation. Okay, I want to be very clear on that. As we talk about godliness, as we talk about being diligent to add to our faith over the next couple of weeks, we're not pursuing those things in order to earn our salvation, Okay, in fact, it's impossible to earn your salvation uh, with your own good works. Uh, it's Tim Keller who said uh, that religion says uh, to obey God to earn your acceptance. But Christianity in the gospel says that Jesus has already earned your acceptance before God, therefore obey. And the order there is really, really important. So godliness, we don't earn our salvation. Jesus has already done that for us in his life and in his death and resurrection. We place our faith in him in order to receive salvation. But godliness is important because it proves or it demonstrates that your faith in Jesus is genuine. That godliness is proof that grace has captured your life. Did you know? that the thing that separates you from demons is not sound doctrine. That the demons know and believe everything that you know about the Bible, about the gospel, about Jesus. That's not what separates us from the demons. What separates us is what Peter refers to here as godliness. That true biblical godliness demonstrates faith in Jesus and repentance from sin. That's what separates here, uh, separates us from the demons here. And so if you're thinking, wow, I just need to know a bunch of things in order to be saved. No, no, no. The demons can actually recite more of the Bible than you can. So godliness here is really important to demonstrate true and faithful uh, salvation in Jesus. Now, we're commanded in 1 Timothy 4, 7 to train yourself for godliness, That's an interesting word. Train, pursue, prioritize, be committed to godliness. Why? What happens when that occurs in our lives? Well, what happens is we can actually see the Lord. See, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, and for the holiness or godliness without which no one will see the Lord. That's so interesting to me. What what does that mean? mean that without godliness, without holiness, we can't see God? Well, one of the realities that we experience in the Christian life is sin. All of us sin. All of us are in process. 
And, and because of that, we experience the residual effects of sin in our lives. Now, if driving a car were a metaphor uh, for the Christian life, okay, so being a Christian, being saved means that you're in the car of the Christian life. And as we drive, as we live out our faith, uh, because of our sin, uh, there, there, uh, there's dirt that's on our windshield, dirt, mud, dead bugs that negatively impacts how we see, how we see God, how we see the scriptures, how we see ourselves, how we see the world. And so what we need are spiritual windshield wipers. We need some mechanism to kind of clean the mud and dirt and bugs off the windshield so that we can see the Lord. Godliness does that. This pursuit of, of holiness, of being sanctified, of Christ-likeness, according to Hebrews 12, allows us to see God more clearly, to see ourselves more clearly. See, in your pursuit of godliness, you're going to have some steps forward and some steps back. That doesn't dictate whether or not you're godly. Perfection does not equate to godliness. What, what equates to godliness is your response to the sin that's in your life. When you do get dirt, dirt on your windshield, when you do have a step back in your pursuit of, of holiness. And, and so what is your response when you fall into sin, when you do have a step back? Is it, is it being remorseful, being broken over your sin, throwing yourself upon the grace of God in repentance? Or are you indifferent to your sin? Is there more of a lethargic response thinking, well, there's grace. It's not that big of a deal. See, our response to sin, when that happens, determines our godliness. And, and it's not this sense of being perfect. See, I think we need to be very clear about something this morning. That through Jesus, God has not only saved us from something, he has saved us to something. He has not only saved us from wrath, from eternal condemnation, from judgment, but he has saved us to a life of holiness, a life of godliness, a life of Christ-likeness, a type of joy-filled, spirit-empowered, grace-fueling transformation. See, Christianity is not about getting saved and having fire insurance from hell and then living however you want to live the rest of your life. Christianity is about experiencing a type of transformative grace that forgives you of your sins, but also empowers you to live a life of godliness. And that is the goal of the Christian life. That's what Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3 is calling us to. And look, this is what God wants for you. This is what God desires. First uh, Thessalonians 4.8 says, this is the will of God that you should be sanctified. This is God's will. I get asked all the time, how do I know God's will for my life? Tell me God's will, pastor, for my life. This is it. This is what God wants for you. This is what God desires for you in your life is to look more and more like Jesus, to resist the destructive and, 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 and confusing patterns of sin and to look more and more like Jesus. And look, he desires this of, your, of you for your life so much that he's actually given you everything you need to realize 
that goal. Which takes us to the second aspect of this passage, the source, the source here. So we not only have the goal of, of to be godly in the Christian life, but God has given us the source to do just that. Here are uh, the spiritual batteries, if you will. Look at verse three, it says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So what has he granted us? What has he given us so that we can be godly? He says it's his divine power. This is really important. The very goal that God desires for us, he has made available everything we need to realize that goal. I think this is key. This is really important because I think it addresses one of the experiences that we tend to have in the Christian life where our growth patterns feel like a yo-yo. You guys remember when yo-yos were popular? I don't know if they're still, I don't know if they're coming back, but growing up, yo-yos were kind of a big deal. This was a way to, you know, show yourself to be cool, to impress girls or whatever. You know, you're at recess, kind of doing all the tricks. I could do a lot of the tricks. I could walk the dog, go around the world, you know, rock the baby, all those things. Well, I picked up a yo-yo a few weeks ago. And I don't know, they probably make them different today, right? That's, that, that, that explains everything. But I was trying to impress my kids with it. And I'm throwing it down and I can't even walk the dog. Like it's, it's coming right back up. I'm throwing it down, it's coming right back up. And, and my kids are like, that doesn't look fun at all, dad. Like let's, let's go do something else. But I'm throwing it down, it's coming up, down, up, down, up. And I thought about that. And I wonder if that describes many of our growth patterns spiritually, where you're up sometimes, and then you're down. You're up, you're down. You're up at church, you're up when you're at Bible study, you're up when you're reading God's word, but then you're down at work, or, or you're down when the kids are going crazy. You're down when you're stressed, when you're overwhelmed. You're, you're down when you're alone. Up, down, up, down. And I think part of the reason for that is because Sometimes we look to other sources for godliness than what God has provided for us. That kind of explains the inconsistency, the up and down, up and down. If you don't believe me, here are a couple of examples. I think these are the most popular examples of other sources we look to. The biggest one is we look to our own strength. We look to our own strength. My theory, and I, I tested this in my own life, is that I don't think we know how to live out of weakness very well. I don't think that we know how to operate spiritually out of our weakness, out of our weariness. When Paul says, and he's quoting Jesus, my power is made perfect in weakness. And he talks about the sufficiency of grace. And yet we're kind of trained culturally perhaps maybe naturally, to live out of our own power and our strength, right? That, that determines if you're a good Christian. That determines if you're a good employee, if you're a good parent, if you're a good spouse. You want to be strong. And so we, we kind of have this weird dilemma in the Christian life where we're hearing this message, be strong, you know, be, be tough, you know, show vigor, show commitment. And yet the Bible says, no, 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 the way to grow is actually out of your own weakness. And so when this becomes our source, our own vigor, our own commitment to God, what happens is our own strength dries up and pretty quickly because we give some of our strength to work, some of our strength to different relationships, our kids, our, our spouse, our friends. 
And then we give God leftovers. We give him whatever's left over. And whatever's left over is never enough compared to what is required for godliness. That's why we're up, down, up, down. That's a big one. Another one uh, is positive feelings. We are far more feelings driven than we care to admit. Like we know a lot of things up here, but man, at the end of the day, unfortunately, we tend to do whatever we feel like doing. So if I feel inspired, if I feel spiritual, whatever that means, if I feel good, then I'll pursue the Lord. But if I don't feel like it, it's going to be on the back burner. And I I know we don't like to admit that, but that tends to be a source for us. Another one, uh, the right circumstances, right? It's a similar, but if we're too busy, too overwhelmed, too overloaded, too stretched, forget about pursuing godliness, Right? We need to have the right kinds of circumstances in our lives so that we can pursue the Lord. Another one is peer pressure, where if we're with other Christians, if we're with kind of our godly friends, then we'll, then we'll pursue the Lord, then we're kind of on. But if we're not, then it's pushed to the back burner. Look, th- these are all kinds of different sources. I haven't even mentioned sinful ones in particular, but this, I think, helps explain the yo-yo experience in the Christian life. And yet Peter here... These verses are amazing. Peter provides encouragement by saying, your pursuit of godliness does not have to be inconsistent. That God has given us a supernatural source that fuels everything we need in order to be godly. And he calls it God's divine power. His divine power, which should humble us because it belongs to him and not us. So everything we need is actually found outside of ourselves and not found within, contrary to the cultural narrative. But he calls it his divine power, which I think is important to know who holds the divine power, who is the true source. It's God. But that's actually not the biggest thing that stood out to me this week. The biggest phrase that stood out to me was the phrase, all things. All things, not some things. Not 80% and then you do the rest on your own. No, he says all things that pertain or relate to life and godliness, God has given you the power, his divine power in order to realize that. So church, realize this. Look, you have supernatural power from God Almighty. It's not static. It's not distant. It's not mystic. It is divinely sourced supernaturally grounded, endlessly available for you from God's mighty hand. Think about that. Like like the, the God who literally created the universe out of nothing offers you his divine power. Think about it. The, the God who commands demons and they obey, they submit to him. God offers you his divine power. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead and through that, conquered the grave, put an end to our sin, defeated Satan once and for all, his divine power he has made available for all things related to life and godliness. What is Peter saying to us this morning? Peter is declaring, you can change. You can grow. You have all of the spiritual resources needed 
in order to look more and more like Jesus. Look, the spiritual batteries is God's supernatural power. So what this means is that sin that's been in your life that has dominated you for years or even decades, you can defeat through God's divine power. That fear, that anxiety that has crippled you for years, you can have victory over through God's divine power. Like that anger, that bitterness, that loose tongue, you can defeat through God's supernatural power. That trial that you're in, that hardship, the, the, the pain and the suffering that you're going through, you're wondering, how can I continue on? God can fuel you with his own divine power so you can remain faithful until the very end. Look, whatever you need, whatever you need in order to look more and more like Jesus, God will supply. And he's generous. He will generously give you power, strength, wisdom, peace, encouragement, whatever you need to look more and more like Jesus, he will not withhold. But the flip side of that, what that also means is that whatever God does withhold from your life, he has deemed unnecessary for you to look more and more like Jesus. So whatever he keeps from your life, whatever you think you need, whatever you think you need to have in your life that you don't, God, from his vantage point, which is perfect, he's got perfect vision, he sees the end from the beginning, has considered it unnecessary in order for you to look more and more like Jesus. And so the question is, do you trust him with that? Like, do you trust him that he will give you everything that you need? Are you looking to him to source your pursuit of godliness, or are you looking elsewhere? Look, perhaps God is using this verse right now in this moment and speaking to some of us today. Is God whispering to you saying, stop looking elsewhere for what you absolutely need? I have it. Everything you need is, is found in me. Stop looking to sin. Stop looking to your own strength. Stop looking to your own control. Stop looking to having clarity about the future. Look to me, and I will give you everything that you need to live a godly life. Someone else put it this way. They said that even the weakest believer holds in his hands all that the mightiest saint ever possessed. And I think when we rely on his divine power to be our source for godliness, guess what happens? You might still have the yo-yo experience from time to time, but you now find yourself on an escalator going up. You, you, you now will experience the ever-increasing reality of looking more and more like Jesus because you're relying on God's divine power and not your own. I love Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17, Paul says in his prayer that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the source in order to realize the goal. Well, this brings us to the last aspect of this passage. Now looking at the means 
We've seen the goal of the Christian life is to be godly. The source is his divine power. Now the question is, how do we tap into his magnificent power, right? Verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through, through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Key word there in terms of understanding the means, how we tap into this power is the word through. Paul says everything in verse three happens through the knowledge of him who has called us. All right, so the divine power that leads to godliness is experienced through a growing knowledge of God. Remember last week, one of the, the key themes throughout 2 Peter is knowledge, knowledge of God. The word knowledge occurs 16 different times in these uh, three short chapters. And we often, I think, associate knowledge with uh, reason and intellect. And surely the scriptures uh, 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 care about the life of the mind of the believer, but Peter here has in mind a specific kind of knowledge, a knowledge of him who has called us. Or if you look at the last verse in the letter, chapter three, verse 18, he calls us to grow not only in grace, but grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so understand this. This kind of knowledge that Peter's calling us to is deeper than facts and information. Uh, growing up, my uh, favorite basketball player was David Robinson. Loved David Robinson, not because we played the same position, but because he was a believer, he was a Christian, uh, and I really liked him. Well, in fifth grade, we had to do these presentations in front of the whole class called MVP, most valuable person. You had to pick a, a famous person, a celebrity that uh, had deeply impacted you and, and present them to the whole class. Well, I picked David Robinson and I wanted to do a really good job. So I read up on David's life. I researched all of his statistics, all of the facts about uh, who he uh, was. And it was my turn to present. And I got up there and, uh, and this is not uh, humility at all, but I nailed it. Like I did a great job. So much so that the teacher pulled me aside after the class and said, Chris, you did amazing job. You get an A on this report. You really know David Robinson. And I was so proud of that moment. But looking back, and even considering how Peter's using the word knowledge here, I would have to politely disagree with my teacher. Sure, I knew some facts about David Robinson's life, but I don't really know David Robinson. I could recite different statistics, how many points per game he averaged in 1991, different, you know, awards that he got, where he lived. But I don't, I don't know what his fears are. I've never had a conversation with him. I don't know what burdens his, his life. I don't know how he likes his coffee in the mornings, if he drinks coffee at all. See, there is an enormous difference between knowing some things about someone and then knowing them. There's a big difference between knowing some facts about someone and then knowing who they actually are. See, Peter is calling us not just to have knowledge about God, but to know God personally. And my question for you today is what kind of knowledge do you have of God? Do you just know things about God or do you know God? Do you know facts about God? Is your theology tight or do you know him personally? Do you know his heart because you spend time with him every day? Do you have some, some verses memorized about God? 
Or do you have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe? Uh, Scott Scholes, he's a Presbyterian pastor. He, he says it this way. He says, want to be like Jesus? Focus less on trying to be like Jesus and more on being with Jesus. See, in other words, it, you don't grow by trying to grow spiritually. You grow by getting to know God. This is the means by which we experience God's divine power. I love J.I. Packer's quote here. He says, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we have in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? To know God. What is the best thing in life? To know God. What in humans gives God most pleasure? Knowledge of himself. And once you have become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Look, biblical knowledge is meant to be personal. It's meant to be intimate. It's meant to be focused on knowing Christ. This may sound contradictory to what we're doing as a church, but memorized verses, theological depth, organized doctrine are not enough to avoid temptation and to pursue godliness. They are a means. The end is knowing Christ. The end is adoration for Christ. The end is love for Jesus Christ. The end is not to fill your mind with knowledge. The Pharisees had that. It's to worship the Lord Jesus. That's where transformation occurs. That's where his divine power invades our lives. So Peter's invitation here is to increase in knowledge and it's paired with this promise of divine power in order to experience the majesty of Jesus. That's just verse three. We'll be more brief on verse four. Verse four is somewhat of a restatement of verse three. That's not a cop-out. Peter begins to build out though, I think more specifically how we can have this personal knowledge of God that leads to divine power that results in godliness. Verse four I think he's stating it's through God's precious and great promises. Okay, so follow Peter's argument here. Look at the text. Peter says in verse four, by which, what's that referring to? By which is referring to this glorious and excellent calling. And so by which he has granted to us these promises. So we have these promises because of the calling. These promises are given to us. Look at the word there, the phrase, so that, in the middle of verse four. We have these promises so that, or for the purpose of what? To become partakers of the divine nature, escaping the corruption of this world through sinful desires. That's a restatement of what godliness actually is. Okay, so we have these promises in order to be godly. So God manifests his power through these promises in our lives. And the result is that we experience divine nature the ability to resist sin. Now, divine nature, don't think, oh, wow, Peter's getting mystic on us. He's not talking about becoming divine or or a sense of divinity here. He's referring to moral transformation. He's referring to the fact that as believers, we can experience some characteristics of God himself. Now, he doesn't specify exactly what those are, but we can assume that they enable us to escape the corruption of 
this world. So notice the emphasis, though, on the promises of God, that knowing the promises of God in the Bible is so important. Did you know that there are over 7,000 promises of God in the Bible? That's one in five verses. That's a lot of promises. And each one of them uniquely displays God's divine power. And my question for us, as we get kind of near here, at, the, at the end here, is do you know any of them by heart? Do you recite them? Do you rehearse them? Do you cling to them throughout the day? You have 7,000 displays of God's power in his word. Are you using them? And I don't, ask, I don't ask that to shame you or to guilt you, but I'm wondering if you're not experiencing God's divine power in your life consistently because you don't know the promises of God in his word. Like if this is the mechanism, one mechanism by which we experience God's divine power, we better know them. Like rehearsing the promises of God throughout the day is a way to experience more of God in your life, more of his divine power. Like for example, when you go throughout the day and you experience temptation, which all of us do every day, what do you do in that moment? What do you rely upon? What do you go to? Uh, do you rely on the promises of God, like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. He will provide a way of escape. Do you cling to that in that moment and as a result experience his divine power? Like when you go throughout the day and you encounter anxiety or fear or type of not knowing what to do, do, do you recite Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where the scriptures tell us, do not be anxious about anything, but pray about everything with thanksgiving. Make your uh, request known to God. And what happens? Here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you cling, do you cling to that promise when you experience anxiety? Or do you just kind of gut through it, you know, grit your teeth and just kind of make through with, with whatever you're going through? Look, when you're tired and weary and overloaded, do you cling to Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, here comes the promise, and I will give you rest. Look, church, we all, including myself, we all can probably up our game in rehearsing and memorizing and clinging to the promises of God so we can experience more of him and his divine power. Look, do you want more of God in your life? Do you feel like you're in a spiritual rut, that you're dry, that you're wondering where are the spiritual batteries so I can enjoy the Christian life? You have two options. You can either run to something else that you think will work, which oftentimes leads us to sin, or you can tap into God's supernatural power. How? By knowing him intimately, personally, in his word, clinging to his promises, understanding that the very goal that he's called you to, a life of godliness, he has given you everything you need in order to realize that. Let's pray together. God, we thank you and we praise you, O oh God, Lord, that we're living this Christian life not alone, not relying on our own strength, but you, the the infinite God of the universe has given us power 
in order to be godly. God, forgive us for times and moments in which we rely on our own strength, that we ignore the promises you've given us. Help us, Lord, to lean into, Lord, the power you've made available. We pray for the glory of Jesus in his name.